This is the Real Good Podcast. This episode is called Second, Third and Fourth Man. <gasps> and that's because we'll be talking about Damien Chazelle's First Man. My name is John Roebuck. With me is Derek Buzz Armstrong <laughs> and Blake Neil Curtis. So <laughs> I make one request in our Slack channel. Is that what we call it? Slack channel? No. Facebook. Facebook, right? yes. What is a Slack channel? Yeah, what is a Slack channel? Slack is an application that you use to talk about projects that you're working on in channels. Oh, I don't actually use it. by Slack? Is that my way? We are. Yeah. Yes. Now is a message from our first sponsor, Slack. Don't be Slack. Download it's it. because we're Slackers. No. Um, Derek wanted to be uh, uh, Derek Neil Armstrong. So when I was growing up, that was one of my great sources of pride, is that I was, quote unquote, related to uh, Neil Armstrong, which I'm not. But we do have the same last name, and so the, the dude I call him in, Uncle Uncle Neil sometimes. The dude who invented or discovered sulfuric acid is called John Roebuck, and he looks exactly like my granddad. Really? Uh, acid? Is Sul- he part no. of the uh, the the big conglomerate in the U.S. that used to own Sears and Roebuck stores? Do you yeah. have any idea? Yeah. Did you, do you have American rel- uh, relatives in the past? Yeah. yeah. Did you do Lance? We'll say so. <laughs> Did you do Lance Armstrong oh, before all that? Please do thing? not get into that, Did you? man. Did I? What did I do? When you were a kid, did you pretend you were? Lance Armstrong wasn't. Why? Yeah, was famous when I was a kid. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> I realized it as I was saying it. So Derek's old. <laughs> I'm hey. not as old as Lance Armstrong, but actually hey, I might be. Here's a short synopsis we found of First Man on the Internet. A look at the life of the astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. Blakey. Have you seen First Man and did you like it? <laughs> yes, I have seen First Man. Um, and I did enjoy it, but uh, I probably had higher expectations than I should have. Um, Is that because John Roebuck gave possibly. it the highest possible grade? <laughs> yes. <laughs> out of 10, baby. Yeah, that was part of it. And also um, just because I really like um, the director. I think Damon Chazelle is fantastic. Uh, I really loved it when he did Whiplash. Uh, and then he did something completely different with La La Land and <laughs> nailed that as well. And then, you know, went on to do, again, a completely different film. And I think he did a really good job, but because of the previous two films and John Roebuck, I had high expectations for it um, and it didn't uh, meet them for me. Oh, I'm glad you that, listened to me. That's <laughs> pretty much that's pretty much the same place I am on it, actually. Um, and I feel really bad saying that, not only because of Uncle Neil, but because, because of Uncle John. F- <laughs> because of Uncle John, <laughs> my sweet Uncle John. Um, Ooh, because also for the first two thirds of the film, I really did love it. Um, and you could say that any the, the the outcome of any individual mission that he was involved with in this film was known because. Ultimately, he's the first man who walked on the moon. We know that about him. He's going to survive all these things. But I thought Chazelle did an incredible job of adding tension to those early missions. My favorite scene in the whole film is the first scene, I think, where he's bouncing off the atmosphere and trying to descend to Earth. And you just and there's so much tension built in the altimeter as it, he goes up and up, and he's 140. He's supposed to not get any further than 140,000 um, feet from the ground. And then he's up at 147,000, and he doesn't seem like he knows how he's going to get back down. I just thought that scene was filmed amazingly. It really set me up for what the rest of the film was going to be like. And that tension continued in some of the other scenes that were, where there were similar stakes, the one where they were spiraling out of control. And then by the time that the moon landing came around, I felt like it was kind of an anticlimax. 
Um, and I think, and I wonder if part of that was just that in history, I've always thought that the reason that they didn't make a film about Neil Armstrong was because the whole thing was kind of anticlimactic. It went off well, and there was and no one died, and and the end, you know. Mm. I think what really grabbed me about this film was it's all about perspective, and I think perspective is essentially, you know, uh, paramount with First Man. And the film cares about Neil Armstrong less so than the NASA team or the NASA program and Apollo 11 and first and foremost. And any, I mean, it's a film about empathy for Neil Armstrong. It's all about Neil Armstrong's experience. And I've always sort of viewed Neil Armstrong just as this figure, this guy who went to the moon. Mm-hmm. And this film, the entire film, everything in it seemed geared towards conveying that this was a man who did this. This wasn't just, like, to Neil Armstrong, Neil Armstrong was just a man. He wasn't this public figure. Mm-hmm. And he did this and he did something incredible. He went to the moon, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And this is, like, sort of, like, you know, the final frontier. And I think it, because it managed to really generate that sense of empathy for Neil Armstrong, it was the first time I really understood, or uh, as much as I possibly could have, what Neil Armstrong would have gone through undertaking something so significant. I agree with that. I actually think that's on point. Um, and to that end, I kept on thinking, oh, don't screw it up, Neil. You know, you don't want to be grounded. Like, don't, like, he, this is his man. And I didn't want his temperament to ruin that interview where he was a bit saucy about whether his the death of his daughter would affect his... Um, ability to make decisions under fire or his candidacy in general. I was like, no, don't, you know, you got to, you know, they're looking for any crack in your armor that will prevent him from sending you up there. And this man had many cracks in his armor. He was just a male, like you say. And see, I wasn't even, like, uh, it wasn't engaging me on a level in the sense that I was worried about him making mistakes because I knew he was going to get there. But I think, like I said, it's all about empathy. And I remember there was that quote that Roger Ebert said. It was something like, movies are an empathy factory or yep. something. It's, empathy it's machine. Yeah. Empathy machine. And you, you really, um, you engage in these characters' lives uh, when you might not necessarily engage in very similar people in real life. I mean, I think we, fi- we, we display more empathy when we're watching movies than we often do in real life. Uh, and this film, and, and do you know which film it reminded me of? Dunkirk. Because it really conveyed this experience, and I've just—I've ne- never seen a movie. I think it's the best movie about factual space travel I've ever seen. I think, and I'm really—I feel um, I'm underwhelmed with the slightly underwhelming response it's got. It's got a positive general yeah. response, but there aren't too many other critics that I've read who who are as rapturous about it as I am. Well. I'll I'll make two points related to that. One is I think that this is about the best version of this movie that it could be. And I think that there are some limitations in what this movie is in 2018. Um, And I may have heard some other criticism of it kind of seeping into mine, but it's a film called First Man with a cast almost entirely of men about about men's accomplishments. And the women that are in it are, they do the best they can to kind of make them strong and give them agency. But it is really that thankless role of the wife who stays home and frets about whether her man's going to be okay. And Claire Foy's really, really good in this film. I think she does a great job, but she just doesn't, it's still that same character and it bears the burden of a kind of a, of a history of films that have that character in them. 
I also think the film that I am most likely to compare it to for probably obvious reasons is Apollo 13. And Apollo 13 for me Wait, is, what is the connection there? <laughs> is, is much more successful than this film because of that puzzle aspect to it, because of the procedure of how are we going to get out of this? What are the, the maths that we're going to use? See, I, thought, I think that's, it was the strength of this movie that you didn't get that procedure. There wasn't sort of like... Um, What's the answer? What's the answer? We don't hear mm. long explanations about mechanisms or procedures. We hear them as part of the casual vernacular uh, between the, the, the uh, people in, in NASA because that's how Neil Armstrong would have uh, you know, used them and would have experienced them. And I think it's not about this problem solving and it's not about – and Claire Foy's character is a wife at home fretting about her husband because that's probably what happened. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's – if, if you think it's the best – possible movie that this movie could have been surely that is but it's but i i guess what i'm saying is there are inbuilt limitations into how good this movie could have ever been and i don't think the story that's being told here could ever been as interesting to me as this story in but you use the same argument about creed a few years ago saying this is the best possible version of this movie it could have been and you gave it 10 out of 10 Sorry, I don't mean to point my finger. But that doesn't. <laughs> but that that it, if I'm going to break down the semantics of yeah. that, it's that move. Something being the best possible version of itself um, can be limiting or it can be unlimited. If yeah, okay. if if, yeah. if the movie itself is has has great ingredients and has a great story, then the best possible version of that is a ten out of ten. Yeah, I think the best possible version out of this is a little bit less than that. Um, and I and it really saddens me to say that because all I can really tell you is that. In the cinema, as it when it ended, I was kind of like, "Huh," like the actual ending was a bit low key, downbeat, um, and the actual landing on the moon. Despite I, I did, I got chills when they when you hear yeah. you know the eagle has landed, uh, the one small step for mankind. But ultimately, that scene, he drops the the necklace, uh, the, the bracelet that belonged to his daughter on it. It reminded me a little bit of the parts of Gravity that I don't like so much. That it's all about the dead daughter. Um, and I thought a little bit of that was, you know, like too much of a, a traditional cinematic attempt to explain someone's psychology because of a dead child or something like that, you know? And I, I didn't think that that was really needed in this film. Um, but I mean, like ultimately those things are small complaints and I, I feel really very positively about the film. I just, I can't, um, deny that I had this little bit of a feeling of, of anticlimax at the end, and I, I think Blake, you probably did too, yeah. right? Well, I, I, I guess I wasn't thinking about it more in terms of because it, it, it's interesting because I agree with what John was saying when I was watching this film, it was never for me about the moon landing, it was about this the man, it was about Neil Armstrong, it was about it was essentially all about the, the his daughter passing away and him dealing with that grief and understanding it. I guess I just was curious more about like I I'm always interested in the psychology and so part of me thought at one stage whether Ryan Gosling was strong enough to carry this entire film on mm. his own shoulders and I don't know if he was because I just I just wanted I don't know a bit more something in how he was feeling and what what was his motivations for wanting to go to the moon? Wow, because I, I I've got to say, normally I'm not a huge fan of Ryan Gosling, and I thought he he was incredible in this. I, I mean, I, I, think, I, he really I think he he employed, uh, you know, methods that he he often employs in films, and that sort of reserved, strong, silent kind of thing. But I think it really worked for this, and I, and I think um I mean apparently Neil Armstrong was quite 
you know, relatively easy. There yeah. are certain moments yeah. of, of, in the, of his performance that I think are absolutely outstanding. Like I Me remember too. at his at his daughter's funeral, or not the funeral, the uh, the the reception afterward where they're all at the house and, and eating and his son asks him to come outside and play. And he has this way of like looking through him. He, he's looking through his son. Like he's, he's, he, in this moment you see him saying, I need to be there for my son, but I just don't have my shit together right now. And he just kind of looks through him and says, um, yeah. And then he kind of goes, uh, I have to help your mother right now. And he's just, it's like, I've been there. Like sometimes as a father, you just have to bail from a moment. You can't always be there. Sometimes you have to be inside your own head and well, your own sadness. Well, I think that's what he was, that that's what he was doing the entire film is that he could, he was, and that's why, you know, the last shot where his wife's on one side of the glass and he's on the other and he's in sol he's in, you know, solitary confinement and they can't touch each other. It's the concept that he's not able to ever articulate his grief and pain to anyone in his family and so he throws himself into his job like that that was all as a visual metaphor i thought that that was right on point yeah. but as the actual ending of the film it kind of left me cold which i think is the point also but yeah. i can't help that that's what the feeling i had from it yeah was. and i agree with that but and it was that all that was present and it, it, you know i understand that it was cold and but one of the things i always feel is that you have to like the person who you're going on the journey with on some level. And you didn't like him? I Well, I just couldn't find anything to hold on to. And it, it, maybe it just needed a, a, a private moment where, like, where he didn't have to be the father. Like, it, And there were moments like when he shed a tear, when he was on the moon, when he threw the bracelet. That was a beautiful moment. And, like, you know, there were some really nice moments. Like, you know, the, the son offering his hand, his hand, like wants to shake his hand. He doesn't want to hug his father mm. before he goes to the moon. There were some really moments that I wanted to to go there, but I just didn't have anything to grip onto. It, and I know Ryan Gosling was deliberately doing that, and, you know, that's what Neil Armstrong was doing in, in staying away from his family, but I just needed something. Yeah. Like, yeah. And in, it could have potentially come from the moments where you see him interacting with his daughter before she passes away, but they just felt so cliche to me. I didn't see any individual like uh, features to their relationship that made me think I believe this relationship. I believe in this love. I believe in your grief and your torment because it just felt but, slightly cliche to me. But I almost think uh, the relationships and the, and the grief regarding the, the daughter, I think they're important, but they're also secondary to this this personality. And I think one of the things I, I found interesting about the movie was it, it, you know, sort of sort of gave the impression that Neil Armstrong wasn't, you know, the only man for the job, but he was a man for a job who got lucky and other people got unlucky, which sort of mm. got him in that position. Sure. And I think his personality is central to the film and this sort of like... Almost that, yeah, like, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? That hard, hardness to his personality and that's uh, stoicism or, or that, and that reserved nature. And I think the, his relationship with his wife and his relationship with his, his dead daughter and kids, they're, they're almost, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're secondary, but they are um, uh, stunted to elaborate on his personality, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I feel like if there was more there, it would be doing him as a character a disservice well a i think bit. i think what you're saying what, what you what you what i maybe hear you saying is that 
many of the things are from his perspective, so that's why we get kind of limited details of the other other parts that are outside his perspective. But the film only really obeys that what it wants to. I mean, it knows that if Claire Foy is only going to be seen in scenes where he's present, then she is really going to be underserved as a character. So that's good because you want her to have agency and you really want her to represent well and she does generally do that but it takes but the scenes with her in it really take you out of his perspective because she's got those scenes where she's scolding the other NASA guys for building their balsa sculptures and and it, that scene to me seemed constructed just to give her agency and basically it says we know that we have to leave Neil Armstrong's perspective in, in order to accomplish things like this I don't know if it's and any- it's things like that that just kind of keep it um, tethered to some conventional filmmaking that I thought was maybe I, beneath I, it. I, I don't know. I think I think those those scenes where they did focus on Claire Foy were to also augment the impressions of Neil Armstrong as a man rather than Neil Armstrong as a figure. Like this was a guy with a wife and kids back home. You yeah. know? This is a person with personal relations. This isn't this just this like action man who jumped on a rocket and went to the new moon. This is something that someone did. And I think to the, the family scenes weren't just superfluous. They weren't sort of examples of tired filmmaking, you know, showing the wife because they had to. I think that they, I, I can't think of a single thing in this movie that was unnecessary. Perhaps when he drops the, uh, the bracelet in, into the movie. Well, what about, uh, what about the, uh, um, false drama that I have to assume it was false and it was just for the film of them almost running out of fuel when they're trying to land on the moon at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that was just, that's pure fiction, right? I have no idea. Yeah. yeah it just doesn't seem real. But yeah, and I and I I agree with what you're saying. I just guess I just wanted it to. I agree with what you're saying too, Derek. That that the all those moments were when they were about the wife, as you're saying, you know, yelling about them about that and all that kind of stuff. I agree with all those comments, and I just wanted them to maybe go a bit deeper into him. And if they weren't gonna go a bit deep, because like. Yes, he, he he ran away and he was distant and he threw himself into his work. And yes, you might be right that the that relationship is all just secondary to the event itself. But it was just like for me, it was just like that first scene of the film when he's like he's hyperventilating, he's hyperventilating, and then he he calms when he sees the you know the sphere of the earth, and mm-hmm. that that was just like you know he here's this guy, this is this is his personality. And that at the start, I was like, "All right, I am in with him, and I am seeing what who he is and what he's doing." Um, but then it distances itself from him, and so it was just like he was right there in front of me, and I wanted to explore who this man was, and I was okay with him being being reserved and distance. And then it just felt like the the pacing of the film just had that one beat of panic, 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 relief. Yeah, and then it just it didn't really it was just too much of one note for me, and so I either wanted it to go deeper into him and focus purely on him, or I wanted it to broaden it and and be about the family, and then and then it kind of didn't ever fit either for me. I mean, in a way, um, Apollo thirteen offers a slightly more conventional look at that family at home. And in, I was attacking the conventions of this film in one respect, but I actually think in that story with Jim Lovell, who, by the way, did you notice that he was a character in this film also? Do you know the actor Pablo Schreiber? Yeah. He, he plays he Jim the, Lovell. The second season of The Wire? 
I'm not sure. And a really bad movie that had 50 Cent in it last year. Okay, yeah, pro- that something. sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was also in the uh, the movie with uh, the Rock and the and the skyscraper. Um, oh, that's right. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but he he plays the Tom Hanks character from Apollo 13, and I didn't notice that until the end credits. And and I do think Braun Howard probably brings what it would be considered a more conventional approach in terms of camera oh, yeah. setups mm-hmm. and everything like that. But you love that film too, don't you? I don't Apollo know if 13. I love Apollo 13. I like <laughs> it a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the two films that this reminded me of was Jackie. Um, mm. It reminded me a lot of Jackie, yeah. the way it was like, it was differently cool. shot and kind of cool. yeah. dealing with all this stuff. But And the other one was Gattaca because in Gattaca... Whoa, I want to hear this one. The, char- <laughs> the, the character, uh, in Ga- Ethan Hawke's character in Gattaca is essentially pushing a limit. He is going to new limits that have not been achieved before. And that's kind of, I guess, what I wanted Neil Armstrong to be a bit more of. But I, I, I think to but, have a bit more of But that, I think like, one of the so, sort of uh, points of the movie was that he wasn't... Extra, like, I mean, he, he's an extraordinary man. I mean, he's probably better than all of us. But he's not well, superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, he, he's not... No, and I didn't want yeah. him to be superhuman. But, like, for instance, that moment... When he's in the simulation and they're like, you got to try and do this thing before you pass out. Yeah. And then he passes out and then someone goes to go again and he goes, no, I'm good. That reminded me of the, yeah. of Ethan Hawke and Gattaca because he was like, I refuse. I am going to go yeah. further than other people have gotten. And that tenacity is what gives me the leg up. And so, because I like to think I'm quite tenacious as well. <laughs> and so it's just like, I want to see like that concept of, you're right, he's not an extraordinary person. So I want to see him fail and I want to see him get up. And that was my favourite moment of the whole film is in the bathroom. It's just a shit, run-down bathroom. It's not glorified and he's just vomiting and the next yeah. guy comes in and he vomits and I was just like, this is gritty and shit and it's not classy and beautiful like we all remember it to be. But I do like what John's saying about how it's just any any man. I mean, not any man, an extraordinary man. It's first man. First man. <laughs> but he... You know, if all those other guys hadn't died, he might have been fifth man, you know, sixth man. He wasn't the guy. He shouldn't have been the guy. Ed White was going to be the guy or Gus Grissom was going to be the guy. God, you've got died. such a good ability to retain information, Derek. Well, <laughs> I couldn't tell you any of their names. Oh, Gus Grissom, was, Gus Grissom is a, was a famous figure in U.S. aeronautics. I didn't know um, Ed White until this film, but I'm remembering it because I just saw it yesterday. But those guys were the guys that were supposed to do that mission or an earlier mission and they died. And... It's like you're the guy who's left. Oh, and Buzz Aldrin, who's a total dick. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like he's a dick in real life. I don't know, but I, I would have like to it. say there's some truth yeah. to that. I, the funny thing is, I always heard that like uh, there's a joke that like Neil Armstrong pushed Buzz Aldrin out of the way so he could get on, <laughs> get onto the moon first. But he was the captain of the mission, so obviously he was going to be on there first. But they, the the film really did not shy away from making Buzz Aldrin look like an asshole. <laughs> Nor did it shy away in a lot of ways for me. Making Neil Armstrong look like a bit of a What about that poor guy who didn't get to who did who had to just stay up there on the I ship and didn't get to the earth? His name is <laughs> hold on. Well the actor's uh, actor's Lucas Haas. Michael Collins. I would never have known that. Yeah. <laughs> I just because you forget everything, Derek. Okay. Top three? Yeah, I just before we though, I just would love to have seen I guess a moment of him with his family or whoever just not knowing what to do. And like, yes, there were moments, but he he never let us in either as the audience and i think that's where it fell over a little bit hmm. that's interesting because yeah i just I, like I, I mean it's been a while since i've seen it now but I, I i i'm not sure if i you know was let in 
but I felt an extraordinary sense of empathy to his situation, which is so outside the realm of anything that I will ever experience. Mm. So I don't know if I felt empathy for him as a person, but for his situation, I was shaking when I left the movie. Hey, but we're going to move on to top three. Okay. <laughs> we've got, we've got have room for the final. Yep, sure. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, Derek, do you want to explain the top three? Sure. So we left it a little bit open. I just said uh, top three trailblazers. I found and this extremely difficult. It yeah. was a bit difficult. Yeah. I actually ended up having more choices than I knew what to do with in the end. But at first I was, I was having trouble. Basically people who had started out some initiative that left them in danger or was unlikely to succeed. And you could interpret that how you, how you did. So I, that naturally lends itself to historical figures and people that actually live. But I started off with my number three as a fictitious character, and that was in uh, Robert Zemeckis' film Contact. Never seen it. Oh, okay. Good? Was, uh, yes, I mean, it's flawed in certain parts, but at the time I loved it. And I actually watched it again last year, and it, it's good. It's quite good. Um, basically, it's about um, uh, Jodie Foster's plays a, an astronomer who is possibly going to be the first person to go um, get in this capsule that is sent to the, the instructions how to make it are sent to them by aliens and how they're going to travel to this alien solar system to meet the aliens. And and the thing that I really liked about it that caused me to put it on this list was that it, it is very much about the procedure involved, about the politics involved, about the risks being taken traveling to an alien uh, location like that, and it's, it jumped out as me and as an obvious choice for this list. My number two is a film that you probably both have not seen called Agora. It's by Alejandro Amenabar, um, the Spanish director from 2009. It stars Rachel Weiss. She plays a philosopher named um, Hypatia from uh, 5th century Egypt, Alexandria, and she. what makes her a trailblazer is that she was trying to proceed forward with scientific knowledge at a time that, that the Roman-controlled uh, Egypt was being dominated by fights between uh, Christianity, which was becoming the dominant mode, and Judaism. And basically, all scientific knowledge um, put you, um, uh, marked you as a heretic, and if you failed to um, announce yourself as a Christian, you basically could be killed for it. And this is her struggle to, um, to kind of keep uh, up her... Studies of the heliocentric model of the universe, and it's just a really great performance. And it's like a sand, sword and sandal epic about science and maths and everything. And it stars Rachel Weisz, so it's really great if you ever check it out. My number one, I interpreted a little bit differently, and it is The Social Network, mm. 2010, mm. David Fincher, and that, um, and the trailblazer in this case, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, obviously played by Jesse Eisenberg, and um, he, it, sh it really shows the risks, rewards, and ultimate costs to him personally um, and to his friendships and to his humanity of making this social media that we take for granted now as one of our essential most uh, elements of our lives. Hmm. There you go. MySpace came first, though, didn't it? I, I believe it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, MySpace. Anyway, MySpace. but it's a really good film, so I, I put it on That's our second list. sponsor for the evening. <laughs> Slack and MySpace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, Blakey, top three. Yeah, well, I uh, wasn't sure how to interpret this three <laughs> as well. Uh, so I just went with, like, people who did something. Did cool things. The first oh, time. Yeah. There's not many movies about people who did something. Yeah, yeah. nah, for the first time. <laughs> oh, for the first time, okay. <laughs> so I went with, like, number three. American Shaw Pie? The Shawshank Redemption. No. There he goes. Because I figured he was the first guy to ever break out of Shawshank. Yeah, sure. <laughs> he, he blazed a trail through the walls yeah. of the building. Through, shit. Well, yes. through the through the, um, the, the sewerage. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Number two, the Matrix. Yeah, because he was the first guy to. He's the one. Yep. So 
And yep, is that all right? He's paved the, the way for all the other ones. <laughs> and the first one is Back to the Future because uh, he was the first guy. He was the first man oh, to go back, back in time. Those are all legitimate. Oh, good. I just wasn't sure. I, never <laughs> I, I think that list is better than mine. Mine's really bad. I tried to stay semi like as uh, literal to the uh, mandate as possible. But I don't even like my uh, th- third one that much. Yeah. Uh, the right stuff. Mm. Yeah. Really patchy movie. Actually. Really. Yeah. I watched it for the first time earlier this year yeah. and some parts of it are unreal and some parts are just woeful. Okay. Uh, but it always uh, sort of gets mentioned alongside movies like this and mm-hmm. My second is The Aviator, which is a movie I like a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first time I saw it, I saw it in German and didn't understand any of it. And then the second time I saw it, I saw it in my I think you said language. you saw it in June and didn't understand any of it. I, like, I don't understand any movies that I see in June. It's a really, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, this was a tough one. Uh, I, I think we should have um, thought about how tough it was before we yeah, settled maybe. on it. Because when, when you suggested it, I thought... You just yeah. agreed right away. Yeah. I thought it was not bad either. Yeah. Time. Um, then we, yeah, had to do it. Mm. And my number one is The Fly. Uh, oh. <laughs> I don't know why. As you, as you do. Yeah. Hey, uh, Derek. Final thoughts on First Man. I was gonna say uh, back to what you said about how it was you like you felt like uh, it reminded you of Dunkirk. I think that speaks to a lot of of maybe kind of your perspective perspective on it versus mine. Which is in Dunkirk, you liked how this was happening to anybody, and it was and it was the experience that they had in the middle of uh, this battle in World War Two. And I wanted more character out of it, and I wanted more, you know, the, to know the names of the characters and things like that. And I think I like First Man a lot more than I like Dunkirk, but some of that same thing probably holds me back here. Yeah, okay. And Blakey. I'm wondering if uh, IMAX would have made a difference, because you saw it, you saw the premiere, John, in IMAX. And yep. I didn't, I just saw it at um, uh, Hoyt's. But I like, don't think it would have made a huge difference because yeah. the only scene where they use the IMAX format is the moon landing. Oh, okay. And I think it does really add to that scene, but mm. it doesn't, sub, wouldn't subtract a whole mm. lot. Yeah. I'm just wondering if it's like, you know, in that first scene and stuff as well, whether it's really immersive because you just you feel like you're yeah. there. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I did enjoy this film and I, it's one that I think I want to revisit. Yeah, I'll, and see what I'm going to try to see it again outside of IMAX before it uh, it uh, finishes because I was shaking. Uh, I had to drink like a bottle of wine after I um, saw it just to calm myself down. Wow, I, I, I was w- really um really yeah, into it. I will quickly say that Chazelle has proven himself to be really a master of the medium. I mean, he, he's made three terrific films in a, in, a, in a row, and just because this one isn't as terrific for me as the previous two doesn't mean it's not a damn good yeah, film. Yeah, and that made too. Yeah. The standard yeah. of those other two. Yeah. See, this is my favorite of his by a long shot. I thought Whiplash was yeah. good. Yeah. La La Land, I feel like my regard for it was probably stronger than my uh, fondness of it. And then this movie blew me away. Yeah. Uh, this has been The Real Good Podcast. Thank you. Uh, what's your name, Derek? Neil Derek. Armstrong. Derek Buzz Armstrong. <laughs> and thank you, Blakey. No problem, runner. My name is John Roebuck. And if you want more film-related stuff and stuff related to The Real Good Film Festival, which we're gearing up uh, for in March next year, go to realgood.com.au. That's real with two E's. And... Thank you.